praise the Lord. There's something about first love when you uh, first get saved. You start serving the Lord and loving Him and understand that He loves you. But there's also something about learning to trust Him. And as much as we wish it could happen just like that, it really doesn't. It takes time, don't it, to where you can trust Him just when things are going absolutely upside down, seems like. But yet you know that the Lord is absolutely perfect in all His timing. Are you happy to be here today? Yeah. Amen. I guarantee you there's two people sitting right back there in that corner, right by that door. Mr. and Mrs. Lance Parker. They are really happy to be here today. Praise the Lord. We're just so grateful. I know it may seem little to you. A lot of folks could go to church every time the church doors is open. They'd let the list little thing hinder them. But what Erica's been through in the last three years, people will text me all the time from around the world, WhatsApp, email, I mean the world, uh, nearly every day. How's she doing? How's she doing? How's Erica? And to be able to say she had a good day, what a victory that is. And yet I wonder how many of us have good day after good day after good day after good day, and we don't even thank the Lord for it. We don't know how to appreciate it, do we? Amen. Let's turn to St. John chapter 11, if you would, this morning. We're so happy to be together today in the presence of the Lord. Now, a certain man was sick named Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mary and her sister Martha. It was that Mary which anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. Therefore his sisters sent unto him, saying, Behold, he whom thou lovest is sick. So now they didn't go, but they sent a messenger. And these are the words that the messenger told them. He whom thou lovest is sick. Well, don't God love everybody? Well, he does in that sense, but you see, these were close friends. Or let me say it this way, so they thought. When Jesus heard that, this is what he said. He said, this sickness is not unto death. Now, if you would have been standing there that day and you would have heard this statement, and then you're going to hear a few more statements after this, about 10 verses after this, I wonder what you would have thought. Because you would have thought, that man is a liar. Because I heard him say myself, that sickness is not unto death. And then in verse 14, he turns right around and says, Lazarus is dead. Now, we said right here that it was not, the sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God. So, did he lie? Of course, he didn't lie. 
You just got to know what he's talking about. That the Son of God might be glorified thereby. Oh, so now I see. So Jesus let this terrible thing happen to Lazarus that he might be glorified. Notice again how John emphasizes the love part in verse 5. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Why is he saying this twice? I mean, just back to back, verse to verse. Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. When he heard, therefore, that he was sick, he abode two days still in the same place where he was. So Jesus loved them, and they sent for Jesus. And instead of Jesus going when they beckoned, Jesus stayed there for two more days. But John tells us in two verses, he loved them. I wonder if there's anybody here besides Lazarus and me and a few more that's ever had that happen to you. Jesus loved you, and you knew he did. You knew that you loved him. And yet you pray for something, and he waits, and he waits, and he waits. I mean, a lot to be remembered today as we pray. God bless each of you. Hold your need, your request, and your heart. Father, it's with thanksgiving that we are approaching you today. We're grateful for another opportunity that we can assemble ourselves together. Lord, we thank you for all that you've done for us. We thank you for all that you're doing. Thank you, Lord, for the meetings that we've heard about up in Ohio with some of our youth that are there today, and they'll be breaking up before long the service there and starting back this way, and we pray you'd watch over them as they travel. Keep your hand upon them, not only our youth, of course, but others as well. Lord, some sick and couldn't be in service today, some, Lord, out traveling, vacations, visiting, this and that, so we pray that you'd watch over your people. I want to say thank you. I want to say thank you, sir. Lance and Eric are able to be with us today in church. We're believing that it's going to completely turn around. And that coming to church won't be a treat. It will be a regular shouting spell. Hallelujah. But we wait on you. And we know your timing is perfect. Help me to step aside for just a few moments that you might be able to speak through me the words of God to your people today, Father. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated. The story goes on, of course, and you're familiar with it, and they converse back and forth a little bit, and Jesus says that he's asleep, and the disciples said, well, that's good if he's asleep. And then in verse 14, then Jesus said unto them plainly, Lazarus is dead. But I thought this sickness was not unto death, 
Isn't it amazing that deaths can mean two separate things? The English word death. You see, Abraham had the type of faith that he believed that if God required him to take the life of his son, that God would raise him from the dead on the mountain and they would walk back down the mountain together. Because he said, the lad and I go and we will worship and we will come back. I want you to notice in verse 15 that the Bible says, and I'm glad for your sakes that I was not there. Wow, what a, what a peculiar man the Lord Jesus must have been. It must have been so difficult to try to understand what he would say and what he meant. And he'd say one thing and then seemingly say something the exact opposite. And we know part of it was because he was a dual person. And part of the time it would be him saying it and part of the time it would be the father saying it. Part of the time he would be expressing in human language what he, what he did here and then he would have to override the human part and speak in divine language and then sometimes he'd go the other way. He'd speak in divine language and they couldn't get it. Then he'd have to override that and speak in human language so they could comprehend what he was saying. I imagine as the news came back to Mary and Martha, Lazarus probably was so sick by then he couldn't talk and he was unconscious of what was going on. But Mary and Martha, they must have been so confused and trying to understand. I just, I don't, I don't understand. Now remember they had made tapestries and they, they wove material and interwoven those things and sold material and tapestries. And once they started following Jesus, they had a great, great rejection from the synagogue where they had always went. No doubt a lot of their, their people who bought from them were people of wealth, which, of course, attended the synagogue. But they heard that Mary and Martha and Lazarus had got into a cult. And they heard that they were following this very unusual, strange man, which supposedly was born of a virgin. Now, who ever heard of that before? And they must have had such gossip and rumors about it. And they themselves had lost their reputation. They had lost their respect among the people. Now, there wasn't really much of a middle class in that day. You was either the rich or the dog poor. And they had been kind of straddling that event to where they was more identified with the rich people than they were the poor. But it was the rich in that day that pretty much hated Jesus. There's a few of them that loved him. But for the most part, a lot of their riches was tied to corruption. Jesus, he just blasted. So they felt like he had a vendetta against them, the rich. You know, the Pharisees, they were the ultra-rich and they were the wealthy. And so to be identified, if you wanted favor, you know, it didn't really change much. Then you would kind of be identified with the rich folks of Judaism. 
And then you could get the work and you could get the jobs and you could get this and that. So Martha, Mary, and Lazarus, it had been a little bit tighter for them financially. They would meet people on the street that before had bought their their tapestries and paid upper prices for them. Now they wouldn't even speak to them. Now whenever they would see them, they'd cross the street and go the other way because they had heard this occult leader had actually become very close friends with them. Someone had told them recently that this occult leader had come to their house and spent time there. This Jesus. So Mary and Martha and Lazarus was having a difficult time. They were having a hard time financially, a hard time socially. They were being rejected. They were being so misunderstood. And they had given so much to follow Jesus. Now, had they give a very little bit and they had not really committed much to him, it wouldn't have hurt them near as bad. No doubt they would have been able to think, well, you know what, really, I guess I deserve this because I've kind of followed him at a distance anyway and I've not given up hardly anything for him at all. But they were the very opposite. They had lost part of their business, portion of their income. They had lost a, a position of reputation among the people. The scribes, the Pharisees, the Essenes, the Herodians, the rich, the wealthy had bought their tapestries anymore. They couldn't even hardly give them away because they identified with Jesus. And now they come to this time in their life. Now what I want to speak to you about this morning is the darkest hour, then Jesus comes along. And they need a friend. They need a favor. And they've not really asked Jesus for anything so far. We have no record that they ask him of anything. But now they really need him. So they send a messenger and they just know beyond a shadow of a doubt that Jesus will come running, literally. He will come running. They gave him a room in their house. They gave up their reputation for him. They gave up their honor among the wealthy people of Jerusalem and the surrounding areas. Everybody associated with the temple knew them. And they forfeited that for him. So they thought, no doubt, like you and I have before, when we've been in real difficult spots and we just knew when we pray, the Lord would come immediately and sometimes it's as if though he turns his back and walks away from us and goes over and heals somebody with short hair or a woman with a pair of pants on or a man that's still smoking and you gave up smoking years ago and you quit drinking years ago and you've loved him and served him all for years of your life and instead of coming your way He turned and went to somebody else and seemed like gave them your miracle. Well, you see, the reason he had to go to them quicker was because they were less immature than you. They had faith, but they didn't have trust. They had faith that would be able to touch him if he moved suddenly, 
but they did not have a persistent faith that if he delayed day after day, week after week, month after month, and even going to maybe year after year, they would not be found serving him after six months. But you would. So he uses them for one example of his glory, and he uses you, Martha, for another. And he uses you, Mary, for another. And you, Lazarus, for another. I can imagine as the messenger comes back to the house in Bethany where they lived, and it's announced, of course, that he's back. Mary and Martha are just taken back. They, they, don't, they don't know what to say. They just, where is he? And the messenger kind of shakes his head and bows his head. He, he, he don't want to tell them. He doesn't have an answer, really, that's going to help console them. The answer he's going to give them about Jesus is actually going to make them feel worse. Isn't that strange? He's coming with a message about Jesus and about their relationship. And the message he's going to give them is actually going to make them feel worse, lower, forsaken, belittled, humiliated. Come on now. They sure didn't need that. Or did they? So the messenger comes and, well, where, where is he? Is he on his way? No, my lady. I'm so sorry to have to tell you this. But he, he acted like, he acted like he didn't even care. Now, women, of course, we know are more emotional most of the time than men are. And you can imagine Mary and Martha, they just burst out in tears. What? He must, he must have misunderstood you. Did you make it clear? I made it clear. You were desperate. I made it so clear that I saw John's face, the beloved John. I saw John's face as he got this look of stress. I watched Peter as he, you know how hard old Peter always was, but I watched Peter as it, the look come upon him, and there stood Jesus almost emotionless. His face looked as if though, I just said it's a nice day. No expression of pain, no expression of sorrow, no expression even of love and concern. I'm so sorry to have to tell you this, but I don't think he's coming. What? But we forfeited our living. We gave up our associates. I've given years of my life for him. And I need him if I ever needed him. I need him now. Well, maybe you misunderstood. Maybe he just had some things he needed to take care of. And it, 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 what did he say? What did he say for you to tell me? He never said anything. But did he say he loved us? He didn't. Did he say he was mindful of us? He didn't. 
But did he say maybe tomorrow? He didn't. I'm telling you, my lady. He didn't say anything. I've been there. I've been there when I would give $10,000 just for a rebuke from him. Just to let me know he still knew I was alive. Anybody ever been there? Boy, when he goes silent, you better believe old blabbermouth goes to run in his mouth. Oh, now they are hit with what looks like the stark reality that this apparently is not the friend we thought he was. Brother Ram says it this way about their situation. Now here comes Mary and Martha and their dark hours had come and Jesus had failed them seemingly. All hopes was gone. Everything was in the black and the first thing you know, the darkest hour they had, then Jesus comes along. He usually comes just at that dark hour, doesn't he? But you can imagine now for however long that it was that in their mind, they're not only dealing with the death of their brother. This is part of the breadwinner now. We don't know anything about their mother and father apparently gone, but Lazarus would have been the head of the home. And they're not only losing their brother, but they're losing the head of their home. And Jesus says absolutely nothing. He sends them, he doesn't even send them a condolence. Tell Mary and Martha, I am so sorry. He don't send a, I love you. He doesn't write a note and say, I'll be there shortly. He says nothing. You know, it's the time in between verse 15 and verse 20. There's only five short verses. But in there can be such a span of time of misunderstanding, distrust, Satan's lies, our imagination, us figuring this and that and the other. Most of the time it's wrong anyway. But we do it, don't we? But then Jesus comes. Now the Father releases him in the vision for him to come to where they are. We'll pick up in verse 20. Then Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, went and met him. But Mary sat still in the house. Now we grieve different than the way the Middle Eastern people did then. They still do today, really, a lot compared to, uh, more similar to, to them than what we would. You know how it is, you go to a lot of funerals in this day and time, folks don't even hardly shed a tear. But grief was something that they so experienced in such a deep way. In Job and in Kings and in uh, Proverbs and different places, we could take the scriptures and show that the way that they would enter into grieving was such a painful thing It's like they would become so overwhelmed by grief that they couldn't even move. Now, I do not believe that by her faith and his word that Mary was being disrespectful 
but she had so entered into the grief and it was so painful and losing her brother that she was just, she was just smitten by grief and could not move. But Martha rises up and she goes out and somebody tells her that Jesus is coming. Now the prophet tells us about this, that she had every right to upbraid him. She had every right to say, and I thought you was a man of God. I thought you was a servant of God. So let me just ask you all, if you're all in the middle of a heart attack at Franklin Woods or the Med Center, wherever it is, you've got a real desperate need and you call me on the phone, Brother Donnie, you've got to come immediately and what if the Spirit of God said, don't go now, but I went tomorrow. I wonder how many of you would even speak to me if I walked in the door. Or you'd say, I called for you yesterday and you're my pastor. You sorry preacher, you. But what if the Lord had a greater phase of his glory he wanted to reveal by making me not go at your bidding? Now this is what they did not know. But to them on their part, it looks absolutely as if Jesus doesn't even concern himself with their trouble. Now Martha has a right, of course, to be able to say, and here I thought you was a man of love. You was a great man that cared for your people and look what we've done for you when we ask for one favor. Boy, you're some kind of man of God. Notice, then said Martha unto Jesus, Lord, if thou hadst been here, my brother had not died. If you would have only been here, you could have stopped him from dying. But notice her attitude now though in verse 22. But I know that even now, whatsoever thou wilt ask of God, God will give it thee. Now she, she still knew, in spite of all the misunderstanding, in spite of the delay, in spite, now think of it, by now, they've already buried him. They didn't do like we do. They died that morning, they buried him by that afternoon. Remember Ananias and Sapphira? Whenever Ananias died, they took him right there and buried him. Sapphira didn't even know he was dead until she walks in and the same thing happens to her. So they'd already buried him. It's been four days now, four days late, seems like. The nose has already fallen in. His skin worms has already started eating on his body. But somehow Martha still says, I know even now, whatever you ask God, he will do it. Oh, I hope I got some Martha sitting here today. It was the darkest hour this family had ever known. And yet Jesus seemed to delay their answer of deliverance. But we know the story as it goes on that Jesus, of course, tells her that he is the resurrection and then Jesus begins to call for Mary. And John goes on to say, Mary, the master has come and calleth for thee. The master has come. So she comes out, of course, and then her and, and Martha together. Oh, Jesus, if you'd only been here, our, our brother would not have died. And where, where have you laid him? So he takes him there to the place where they've laid him. 
shortest verse in the Bible, and Jesus wept. Oh, but they begin to tell him, Lord, he, he, by now he stinketh, he, he stinks. You, you, can't, you, you can't do this. No, not now, Lord, it's too far gone. It's too far gone, by now he stinketh. And Jesus tells them and asks them something else that seems so harsh that Jesus asked Mary and Martha to roll away the stone. Not their slaves, not the apostles, big brawny fishermen standing there. Can you imagine two women, women grieving? Two women that are grieving and their heart is broken because of their brother and they're still dealing with this misunderstanding about Jesus' delay and Jesus even puts more on them and said, I'll tell you what I want you two to do. I want you two to move the rock. Now just think in your mind, what would have been your opinion of this great miracle working preacher? Would you have stood off and said, I cannot believe he would dare do such a thing. Poor Mary can hardly walk. Look at Martha, she's staggering under the influence of this tremendous loss. And what does that occult leader do? Tell them to move the stone. But Mary and Martha, if you can do it, this will be the last part of your part of the miracle. Praise God. I wonder sometimes if Jesus ain't got one more rock that you and I need to move out of the way before the miracle blows wide open. (laughs) Hallelujah. And if we're not careful, we'll feel sorry for ourselves. And how in the world would he ever ask? Don't he know I've given so much? I've done so much, but he wants a little more. He wants a little more. And that if you will give that little more, he will do what you cannot do. Now we know him well enough to know that he would have never asked them to move that stone if they could not have moved it. Did they strain? No doubt they did. You imagine two women and they would make them sort of like a trough. I've stood there and seen supposedly where Lazarus was buried. And some of them, they would dig it down in a hole and it would be a round type stone and it'd be over the top of it like this, the mouth of the cave. Others would be one that they had dug a trough this way and the door was upright like this and they would cut a round stone so they could roll it and they would have to stand there and push and push and push. But Lazarus was not exactly like the tomb of Jesus. It was one that had a different opening with a different type of energy that was going to be needed to move it out of the way. And yet these women pushing and shoving and pushing with everything they had. Oh my, you imagine that sun as it was so hot and they began to break out in perspiration and they were there, Lord, why would you ask us? And Peter said, "Ah, Peter, leave her alone. John 7, 4, Andrew, them be brawny men as I said, them said, "Ah, leave them alone. Push Mary, push Martha then I'll raise the dead. Hallelujah. 
You imagine by the time they get it open, by the first little crack as they, as they go past and then the smell and the stench of the brother's body comes out and hits them and now this nausea, the grief and the trauma that they're already dealing with and then the smell of rotting flesh as it hits them in the face and they, they feel this sickness come over them but they've only got a little bit further to go. Oh, Mary, let me tell you today, keep pushing that rock away from that tomb door. Martha, keep pushing that rock. Lazarus and Jesus is waiting on you. Hallelujah. Oh, brother, sister, it might be your son. It might be your daughter. Sisters, it might be your husband. Or it might be your wife, brothers, whoever it is. It might be a son or a daughter that needs salvation, needs the Holy Ghost. Keep pushing that rock. But Brother Donnie, I feel like I can't. If Jesus told you to do it, he's got faith in you that you can push it. Oh, hallelujah. If Jesus is withholding what you've been asking for for a while, he's got a reason. He has confidence in you. And apparently him and the devil had a meeting not long ago and Jesus was testifying. And Jesus said, I want to tell you, I've got a son down there in Johnson City. I've got a daughter over in Asheville. I've got one over here and there. And they believe me no matter what you tell them, devil. Oh, the devil said, I'll tell you, one thing, you withdraw your blessing, you hold back your healing for a year or two years or whatever it is and I'll guarantee you, I'll make them curse it to your face and Jesus said, no you won't. I know my son. I know my daughter. Oh brother, sister, I want you to have confidence in me as I want to have it in you. I want to have a reputation among the people of God but I'll tell you where I really want to have a reputation and that's up in heaven. That if the Lord Jesus and the devil have a meeting together and Jesus says I'd like to testify to you devil I've got a son down on the earth by the name of Donnie I have fellowship with him every day me and him talk together we associate together and the Lord Jesus goes to tell him the devil things about me I want to be able to stand faithful and make that testimony bear true anybody else here today feel the same way if you've got your shoulder against the stone and you feel like it ain't moving and you're doing more sweating than you are moving, keep on pushing, Martha. That stone's gonna roll away. Keep on pushing. That disease is gonna leave your body. That sickness is gonna leave. That habit is going to leave. That besetting sin is going to leave. Just keep your shoulder. The devil's scared to death. Can you imagine demons out of hell were around Martha and Mary and they said, don't do it. You can't do it. You're only a woman. But Jesus uses women. Jesus uses young girls. Jesus used, I wish somebody would preach with me this morning. There's a Lazarus on the other side of that rock. And Jesus' miracle cannot happen until you and Jesus work together. Oh, glory. I want to do my part. I want to believe. I want to have faith. I want to stand faithful. I want to persevere. And if I do my part, Jesus will do his part. Notice the prophet says this in the presence of the Lord Jesus. Four days done stinking. After 72 hours, corruption sets in. All hopes was gone. There was Mary, Martha and Mary had left their church, gave up all they had. 
There their brother was dead, the man they had confidence being the great man who went around and did miracles. He had left them and gone away and wouldn't come when they sent to pray for his brother. The darkest hour that little family had ever seen. Usually it's about the darkest hour. That's when Jesus comes around. Hallelujah. We know the story. Let's change to another one. She'd spent all she had. She'd suffered many things of physicians. No doubt they gave her compounds and herbal this and that and the other and all that they could be able to come up with to help her with this issue of blood. She was now a pauper on the street. Apparently a woman of means, of wealth, because she spent much on trying to get well. But yet the Lord Jesus, hallelujah, had been ordained on a journey near where this woman lived. He could have went two miles that way, three miles that way, five miles that way. She'd have totally missed him. But he was ordained of God to walk down that certain path. This woman had faith. Now remember, she did not have one scripture. There was not one scripture in the Old Testament. And the New Testament was not even written yet. She had no written word that if she touched the hem of his garment, she would be made well. But she had faith in who he was. If I may but touch the hem of his garment, I shall be made well. Let me tell you what kind of people that the people in the book of Acts were. Peter was a man so full of the Holy Ghost that the Bible says the man's shadow would fall upon people and they would be healed. Oh my goodness, do we believe the book of Acts? a man's shadow falling on people. A woman that was in such desperate need many, many years ago came to the tabernacle. She was hoping the prophet would be there, but alas, he was gone. And nowhere could, could be able to, she could be able to reach him. And the woman out of desperation said, show me where the man walked and I'll be healed. She got in the certain road in behind the church there and they told her, said he walked out of his car, walked out of there right into the door. The woman got right over there and simply walked where the prophet of God walked and got her a miracle. You see, faith is something that unless you have it, it's very hard to understand. What if this woman could be healed of an issue of blood without one scripture? I wonder what we can be healed and delivered of today. When we've got the Old Testament and the New Testament, and we've got over 1,100 sermons from a vindicated prophet of God, we've got evangelists and pastors and teachers, we've got some of the best men of God around the world that are our friends and come and preach to us. There should not be one thing that would be able to stand and in our way as the people of God. Hallelujah. Oh my. It was the darkest hour Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego had ever known. Whenever they give the ultimatum, unless you bow, we're gonna throw you into the furnace of fire. They said, well, we're not even sure if God will deliver us or not, you imagine. We're not even sure, we don't know. It had not been revealed to them that he was gonna do it. But little did they know, 
the Lord God up in heaven, an angel come running up and said, Father, have you seen what's going on down there today? Have you seen what's going on? Let me go down. I am the angel that sent forth the floods upon the earth and the antediluvian destruction. I will go down and call for a flood of waters to come in and wipe this city out and put out the fire. But Father said, no. Another angel come up and said, I am this and I can do that and I can do that. He said, no, I'm going down myself. Hallelujah, hallelujah. He reaches over and grabs a hold of a wisp of wind and a a thunder and lightning, bolt of lightning. He grabs a hold of it and he veils himself and goes down. The Bible says that they heated the furnace seven times hotter than it had ever been heated before. The men who threw them in there died as they threw them in. In goes Shadrach, in goes Omeshach, in goes Abednego. And when they got inside of there, it was about a cool 70 to 71 degrees, I'm imagining and there was a wind that blowed all around them. Little did they know, hallelujah, the Son of God was already in there waiting for them. It was the darkest hour they had ever known and Jesus came along. It was the darkest hour they had ever faced and Jesus showed up. Oh, listen to me this morning, children. No matter what you're going through, Jesus will come to you if you won't lose faith. Don't lose patience. Wait on him. The prophet said it was Abraham's darkest hour when he drew back the knife and laid his little boy back and pulled his head back. You imagine, Brother Jackie, seconds away from cutting his throat. So he's got the knife in one hand, grabs his hair, Pulls his head back, exposes the neck, maybe like this. He rears back with a knife. The prophet said he had his head pulled back and his heart was in his mouth as it was his own son. He pulled the knife to cut his throat because God said so. It was the darkest moment when God, Jehovah, appeared on the scene and said, Abraham, stay your hand. The darkest hour Abraham had ever known. Oh, it was the darkest hour the human race had ever known. The Pharisees, the Sadducees, the Essenes, oh, the people were arguing Rome was in control of the majority of the world. It was the darkest time the human race had ever experienced. Crying for a a great deliverer, maybe a soldier, maybe a a general, someone to set them free. The darkest hour, baby Jesus come along. Not a general, but a baby. I wonder today, friends, before we leave this world in a rapture, I think you know it as well as I know it, the world is getting darker every day we live here. There's so much sin and we say, how could it get any worse? But it has. About to me, it's got worse in the last six months. Just in this little spot that we live here in the Tri-Cities area, can you imagine places like Chicago and New York? And remember, one of the signs of the end time is supposed to be violence. It's supposed to return again as it was in the days before the earth was destroyed by water. 
And what's amazing is, oh sure, we've always had violence, but we never saw our mayors and our politicians would promote it. We never saw that our major cities would pass laws and make it easier for the criminal and harder for you and I. Well, come on, somebody, say amen. But what is it? It's part of the prophecy of the last days that violence will increase. Have you seen it in your lifetime? It's getting worse and worse. One of our major cities has already passed a bill that will go into effect January the 1st that there will be no more cash bond. Many police officers are already resigning because they say it will totally overrun the cities. Cities already on the West Coast, Portland, Oregon, many of them you read about it same as I do, and it's so bad that businesses are leaving. Hundreds of people on the streets that are homeless and drug addicts and this and that and the other, and yet the real people that want to just mind their own business and do whatever, they're having to leave out. Why? It's part of the darkness of the last day. Oh my! And yet, what are we looking for? I'm not looking for Trump to take over. Trump or I don't care who you put in there, it's too far gone. I'm not looking for Biden to be the man to the rescue. I'm looking for the Lord Jesus. He's the only hope we've got. I can see him as he sits there on that cold October morning. And the chill kind of runs up his spine. He's got there late. He overslept. And he got there to his little spot, but there was nobody there. Bartimaeus, I'm talking about. The son of Timaeus. Bar means son. So Bartimaeus was the son of Timaeus. So there's hardly anybody there. And he hears a tumult in the distance. And then he hears somebody come by and say, hey, what's going on? Where is everybody? Oh, Jesus has come to town. I realize a lot of folks around the message don't like some of the attributes of Jesus. But the prophet identifies everywhere he was. There was a bunch of hollering and shouting and people screaming. Well, praise the Lord. I hope y'all like that because that, that tends to follow the Jesus move. Well, praise the Lord. People screaming, set me free, Lord. Set me free, Lord. And the others are saying, he set me free. He set me free. They hear he's coming closer and closer. A really nice lady, the prophet said, because whenever people follow Jesus, it makes them nice. So a really nice lady said, well, well, what is that? He said, oh, it's it's Jesus, the son of David. And Bartimaeus, darkest hour, because he had already had to give away or sell his little little turtle doves. You remember he had a pair of turtle doves, and they would do little tricks. And they would turn over one another and tumble and do little tricks. And people would give him money for them little doves. But his little girl lay sick not long ago at the point of death. And Bartimaeus told Jehovah, Jehovah, if you'll heal my little girl, I'll give my doves to you as an offering. 
The Lord healed her. So Bartimaeus comes up to the temple. And the priest says, Bartimaeus, where are you going? He said, oh, I'm going to sacrifice my dove. So he said, no, you can't do that, Bartimaeus. That's your means of a living. Here, 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 I'll give you money and you go buy you a dove. But Bartimaeus says, I never promised the Lord any doves. I promised him mine. The prophet said, a little did he know, less than a hundred yards from where he was sitting right then, Jehovah had provided a lamb for Bartimaeus' eyes. Hallelujah. The gospel had been preached for 19, however, 1900 years. People have been saved. People have been healed. Churches had been established. Great things had happened, no doubt. But the revival had begun to wane. And the church had just got into a cold state. And the preaching of the cross had went around the world. The preaching of the power of the blood of Jesus had went around the world. But it seemed like there was something else that was needed to spark a revival, to waken the bride. It was the darkest hour. Lutheranism had faded away. Methodism had faded away. Now it had been many decades since Azusa Street. But people had a hunger in their heart knowing something else has got to come. What is it? What are we waiting for? What are we looking for? It was the darkest hour. Then Jesus came and tore open the seven seals. If the preaching of the cross alone would put you in the rapture, why did we need the opening of the seven seal book? If the preaching of the blood would put you in the rapture, but we must find out who we are. And we must find that we had an identity and we were placed across the chasm and there must be something to bring us back. I know some of you don't understand this. Some of you don't even believe it. But if the preaching of the cross itself was enough, how come the rapture didn't already come? Come on, somebody. Oh my, there's been millions and millions of folks led to the Lord Jesus believing in the preaching of the cross, and we still believe that very same thing, do we not? But there must come a faith that will be a rapturing faith. It must come out of what? The Lamb himself come down to the earth in the last day and tore open those seals and began to show the bride who she was, what she was before the foundation of the world, what her identity was. It began to show her there are not three gods, there is one God. It began to show her it's not, you cannot be baptized in titles, but you've got to be baptized in the name of the bridegroom. It began to show the bride, I no longer call you church, but I call you bride. It was the darkest hour, but Jesus 
It was the darkest hour and he opened the seven seals. Brother Rem says, I was laying yonder in Mayo's hospital. Mayo brothers looked at me, put me in for examinations and said, Reverend Branham, we're sorry to inform you of this, but you're finished. Nothing can be done for you. You're finished. And then Jesus came along. Oh my, he says, oh mercy. It may be your darkest now, brother, sitting there shaking in the chair. I've watched you for two nights. Blessed be the Lord God. Wouldn't it be wonderful if Jesus come along about this time? What about you sitting there with the cancer? The doctor says you can't live your darkest hour, and then Jesus comes along. He's always there just in the darkest hour. When the Hebrew children was making their last step in the fiery furnace, then Jesus come along. When the woman with the blood issue and paid all of her money out for doctors and none could do no good, then Jesus come along. He's right there. Don't be weary. If you love him, stay right with him. He will be there. Jesus, come along. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Little Georgie Carter here at Milltown, nine years and eight months laying on her bed. Her church taught the days of miracles is past. God gave a vision, said go down there when it's your darkest hour. She was dying, weighed 37 pounds. 37 pounds. Oh, glory. Then Jesus came along. Couldn't he come when she weighed 100? Couldn't he come when she weighed 80? Couldn't he come when she weighed 90? But it's gonna be a greater miracle. She's down to 37 pounds. Oh, why does he wait sometimes? More glory, more glory. He knows he can trust you. He knows you're not just an upstart. He knows you didn't just get saved yesterday. He knows you not only believe him, you trust him when your reasoning says it makes no sense. You trust him when all hell comes against you. You get down to pray and you feel like God's a million miles away. And what do you do the next day? You get down to pray again. And you still don't feel nothing and you still get down to pray. You go to church and it seems like you get nothing. And what are you gonna do on Wednesday night? You're gonna get dressed and you're coming back to church again because you trust him. You love him. You obey him. You're living for him. He's coming, children. In the darkest hour, he will come. (sighs) 
But now we're in the darkest time that's ever been. Men don't know if they're men. Women don't know if they're women. They want to do that. That's up to them. But they want us to accept it. That's the problem I have. Man wants to marry a dog. That's up to him. He wants to sleep with fleas. Go ahead and sleep with him. But don't he, don't they think that I'm going to look at it and honor it and say, well, that's okay. Go ahead and be whatever you want to be. I'm sorry. That don't fit in my cup of tea. Come on, somebody. Oh, they're going to press against us and press against us. We don't see it. The transgender move and all that sort of thing and trying to get our, our, our little children and get it on their mind. Don't you know Hitler done the exact same thing? Hitler for use. He wants to attack our young kids. Let me tell you, young kids, if you were born a female, God don't make no mistakes. And young boys, if you were born a male, God don't make no mistakes. Don't get under this so spirit of Sodom to try to change yourself. Oh, hallelujah. Be proud God made you what he did. And you be identified against this wicked age. Hallelujah. The bombs are in the hangars. Belarus already has nuclear ones from Russia. Russia and China, Russia just docked one of her great military ships in Havana, Cuba. Russia and China both coming up toward Alaska. I say, bring her on, boys. (laughs) I'm ready to fly now. Praise be to God. Oh, brother, ain't you scared to death of nuclear warfare? I'm not scared one little bit because I ain't gonna be here before the first bomb ever flies. We'll be gone. We'll be changed in a moment in a twinkling of an eye. I'm not scared of a cobalt bomb. I'm not scared of a nuclear warhead. Hallelujah. I've done God the mighty God is my head. In the darkest hour, Jesus is gonna come. Let me close with this. The prophet said that's the way he does. Very last quote, brothers. Just about the time it gets the very darkest hour, then Jesus comes along. We fret, worry. We Christians, the baby gets sick or something happens or somebody don't show up. We're just so nervous and so upset. We should just sit quiet. He's the one who commanded it. We're living under his dispensation. Living under his grace, just sit still. He'll be along after a while. Don't worry, he'll open up a healing service somewhere or you'd be guided to somebody who prays for the sick when you got sickness If not, now listen, how determined is that God's gonna heal us? So God will, notice what he said, he'll open up a healing service somewhere or you'll be guided to somebody who prays for the sick when you got sickness. If not, if neither A or B works, here's C. If not, he'll just put it upon your heart so bad 
that you kneel down in the room and ask him about it yourself. Praise be to God. Well, there ain't a preacher within 100 miles. There ain't a prayer line nowhere within 500 miles. I'll never be able to make it. Then the Lord said, that's all right, honey. Have a, have a little talk with Jesus right here. Go ahead and kneel right down on your knees right here because I promised you I would hear you. He is so determined that you'll be delivered that nothing is going to stop him or you. Listen, little bride, you remember the story the prophet tells us when that little family went down into the cave, the caverns, and it was so dark. Man and his wife, little boy, little girl, they would get them down in there and then they'd turn the light off. Remember the story? The little brother just happened to be standing by the man who had control over the switch. And whenever they turned the light off, the little girl said, oh, oh, it's so dark, it's so dark. Oh, it's so dark. And the little brother said to the little sister, little sister, don't fear. There's a man here who can turn on the light. Can you imagine God ordained before the foundation of the world that them caverns be made. When God made the earth, he made those caverns right where they were made. Made them in such a certain place because he knew his prophet would need a sermon title. He knew the bride would be encouraged for decades after decades by hearing that sermon, there is a man here who can turn on the light. So when God was creating the earth, he created, you, you mean you think that's the way he done it? I sure do. Why do you figure he put the colors in the butterflies? You ever see a butterfly with a mirror where he's flying around looking at himself with selfies? Butterflies don't even realize their beauty. Flowers don't look at their self and say, oh, what a beautiful poinsettia I am. What a beautiful snowball bush I am. They don't look at that. Who's it made for? You. He could have made it all drab gray or drab green, but look at what he done. He diversified it for who? You. Hallelujah. So let me say to you, God loved us so much that he had one of our brothers, one of our brothers who caught a glimpse of Jesus in such a way we had only read about it in the Bible. But it was like a window opened up to the fourth dimension and got so close to him that some people thought it was him. They had a hard time differentiating between the two. But he could tell the bride, don't fear, little sister. He said, Brother Branham is not our God. We don't worship him, and if you do, you need to repent. He is our brother. But it just so happened that God pulled him over near where he was and had his picture took with him. And he could tell the little bride, don't fear, little sister. There's a man here who can turn on the light. He said, he will come and take her away. I love that quote. A man here can turn on the light and he will come and take her away. You see, the last flip of the switch will be the body change. But it's gonna be dark all around us and it'll seem as if though the enemy's coming against us and the Lord Jesus is just flip the switch and all of a sudden, 
sweep will go over us. And we're changed. Don't fear, little sister. In the darkest hour, Jesus comes along. And he loves him. Let's just bow our heads. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. And may lots to be remembered today as we go before the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, maybe some of these people today have been in their darkest hour. I know it's easy for us sometimes when we hear a sermon preach this way and say, well, that really don't pertain to me. It may not today, but it may before the day ends tomorrow. So, Lord, when you speak ahead of me, I've learned to listen because sometimes you're getting me ready for something. I can't say that I am at the darkest hour I've ever been today, but when you put this on my heart yesterday, it got my attention. Because I thought, Lord, are you speaking ahead of Satan? Because we know you do that. You love to let him know. You know what's going on before it goes on. And you like to warn your people ahead of time. So I pray today, Father, each one of us, maybe some presently, are in the darkest time they've ever been in their life. They're so discouraged and so despondent. And maybe they're like Mary and Martha. They're really just questioning, Lord, do you love me? Do you care? I mean, Carol was talking about it yesterday, Lord, and she started talking about it, and then we just kind of joined in together, and she's talking about different things that we'd seen you do. She said, he's just been so faithful. We was talking about when we sold our church and we couldn't find a place to have church. I was so tore up. I was so anxious and so apprehensive about it. We thought we had this place and it didn't work out. We thought we had that place. Brother Larry just kind of took it on his heart to go out and drive around and just to call some different people and find a place. It was coming down to the wire, as we would say. We weren't sure what we was going to do and where we was going to go. And then you opened up the Holiday Inn. It was a pretty dark time for me, Lord. Oh, I didn't tell the people. I didn't want them to be scared. I knew if they saw I scared, they'd be heading for the hills. But it's pretty dark for me, Lord. We was just talking about the different things that you've done. And I said, you know, really, Carol? In reality, we cannot point to one time in the years of our lives that we've served him that he's ever failed us. I thought, what an awesome thing. I failed you and I failed others and others have failed me. I don't think there's a person here today that can honestly say, you have ever failed them one time. Thank you, Lord God. Thank you, Lord God. Would you minister to your people today, Lord? 
Would you give strength to the weary? Would you bring healing, Lord? Lord God, if today's not the day of the complete deliverance, Father, we're believing you, we're praising you every day. I praise you multiple times every day and thank you every day for healing Erica, restoring her to the good land of health. I thank you, Lord, for healing Brother Ron Spencer. I thank you, Lord, for saints in our assembly here that are dealing with prolonged sickness and diseases, and we're just waiting, Lord God, for the day to arrive. We're praising you as if though it's already happened because we believe that's the kind of God you are. Father, but sometimes we need strength. We need strength. And by time, you make the promise and the promise is fulfilled. And that's what I'm praying today, Lord. Strengthen your people. Help us, I pray, Lord God, that we'll not be weary in well-doing, that we'll be faithful. Grant it, Lord. Oh, hallelujah. Sing some for us. Can we just worship? Let's just lift our hands in the presence of the King and worship the Lord right now. Maybe you're, you're there and you're in between. Say verse four and verse 14 there in John as it was. And the Bible said Jesus loved them. And then Jesus wouldn't go when they asked him to. Maybe that's where you are and you're stuck on that verse and you can't move beyond it. You need to move up to the verse prior and you move down to the verses below it. He still loves you. He cares for you. If he's delaying, he has a reason. He has a reason. Oh, Jesus, we bless your name. Thank you for the service today, Lord God. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your presence, Lord. We worship you, Jesus. Maybe there's a Mary and a Martha here today and they've got their shoulder against the stone and it seems like it's not moving, but Lord God, would you strengthen them, Father? Oh, hallelujah. Lord God, if you told us to do it, then you're not gonna do it yourself, but we love the way you do it when our strength is depleted. You give us that little supernatural touch. Amen, to help us do what you told us to do. I love you so much for so many things, but that's one of the reasons I love you so much is that you tell us to do these certain things and then we get so weary and think we can't do it, then you give us strength to do what you told us to do and then we stand before you at that day and then you reward us to do what you told us to do, which is what you give us the strength to do. Oh, what a loving husband you are. What a loving father you are today, Lord. Hallelujah. We worship you, Jesus. We worship you, Jesus. We worship you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Hallelujah. You have a need of the Lord's touch this morning. I believe he's here. He sent this for you today, friends. He's not too busy. Oh, to hear you. Hearts cry, he's passing by this this moment, all your needs he will supply, if you reach out and touch the Lord, as he goes by. 
This 
blood If you'll just reach out And touch the Lord As He goes by We're crying Say me by don't pass me by I'm crying Savior my precious Savior hear my
I'm kneeling there in deep country. It's just, oh Lord, here, help my Six years ago, Randall was diagnosed with stage four prostate cancer by his urologist. They'd taken 13 biopsies, 12 out of 13 were cancerous cells. The doctor prepared us for the worst. Believe <laughs> the cancer had spread. The original CT scan showed he had three pinholes in his pelvic bone due to the cancer spreading outside his prostate. He has been through many CT scans and bone scans since the diagnosis. With each scan, we always ask if the pinholes are still there. Remember that, still there. Within the last two weeks, he was sent for more testing. The doctor came in and said, all the scans came back normal. Praise the Lord. <laughs> the pinholes in his pelvic area are gone. The doctor said it looks like someone has went in and treated them. Joanne, which is Sister Joanne, this is Brother Randall's wife. Joanne told the doctor, yes it was. It was treated by our God. Hallelujah! In the darkest hour, then Jesus comes by. And in a few moments, I get the opportunity to baptize this brother in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. A couple of people want to be baptized. Y'all come prepare for that. 
Ain't it amazing how many folks have baptized since we've been here? <laughs> oh, hallelujah. Amen. My Redeemer is faithful and true. Let's sing that this morning as they prepare for a baptism. Amen. We're going to steal this song from Caleb this morning. Do you remember what key he sings it in? My Redeemer is faithful and true. Everything He has said He will do. And every morning His mercies are new. My Redeemer is faithful and true. Oh, my Redeemer is faithful and true. Everything He has said He will do. And every morning His mercies are new. My Redeemer is faithful. You feel that way this morning? Oh, my Redeemer is faithful and true. Everything He has said He will do. And every morning His mercies are new. My Redeemer is faithful and true. Oh, my Redeemer is faithful and true. Everything He has said He will do. And every morning His mercies are new. My Redeemer is faithful and true. Oh, my Redeemer is faithful and true. Everything He has said He will do. And every morning His mercies are new. My Redeemer is faithful and true. My Redeemer is faithful and true. Everything He has said He will do. And every morning His mercies are new. My Redeemer is faithful and true. Oh, my Redeemer is faithful and true. Everything He has said He will do. And every morning His mercies are new. My Redeemer is faithful and true. so happy to be able to stand here today under the evening light of what God has done. 
Our sister had been baptized before. She just got there telling me she had been baptized in titles, but she wanted to be baptized, in her words, the right way. We love to baptize people the right way, don't we? Hallelujah. Heavenly Father, we're so happy for what you've done for James and Amanda. We're so grateful, Lord God. Dear Jesus, our sister, wants to take on your name today. As she took on the name of her husband when she married him. So, Lord God, we take on your name. I pray today, Father, in the name of Jesus, you'd just be with them, bless them, keep them, bless their family. Help them, Lord, in their walk with you. Lord, meet every need that they have. May every fiber of their being be filled with the Holy Ghost. Lord, this is obedience to your word today. We thank you for it, Lord. Sister Men, according to the word of God, I baptize you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. the Lord. Praise the Lord. This is a brother that God just done the miracle for him in his bones. He's got a muscle that's bothering him. I figured the Lord can take care of muscles just like he can bones, don't you? But we're going to baptize him today and we're just believing God's going to touch his body and give him what he has need of. Heavenly Father, what a great privilege it is, Lord, to be able to stand here and obey your word that original commandment that you said yourself. Go and teach people, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. You didn't say names, but name. And when the apostles come and started teaching people and they saw them baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Again, it takes understanding of your word to make sense sometimes of what you're doing. But we're so grateful in the darkest of hours, the revelation of water baptism broke. Here come Jesus. We didn't see three gods, but we saw one. Dear Lord, we thank you for our brother. We thank you for what you've done for him. Lord, you see he needs a touch in his body today. We're believing you, Father, in the name of Jesus. You're going to touch him, Lord. Praise God. Thank you, Father. Brother Randall, no obedience to God's word. I baptize you, my brother, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. It's been good to be in the house of the Lord this morning. Amen. Let's sing this little chorus.
as you prepare to dismiss this morning. Oh, my hope is in the Lord from this time on and evermore. Oh, my hope is in the Lord forevermore. Sing it to us. Oh, my hope is in the Lord. Come on and evermore. Oh, my hope is in the Lord forevermore. In the presence of the Lord, in whom the wind. Of the ages lie for whom the raging of the sea subsides, the living sacrifice, my only source of life. My hope is in the Lord from this time on. Find their hearts sat red. Oh, my hope is in the Lord from this time on and evermore. Oh, my hope is in the Lord forevermore.